Hello, and welcome to the Deconstructed Burrito Podcast. I am your increasingly affectionate host, Alexander Balch, and I am so happy to have you joining me for this episode. This episode is going to wrap up the initial series I'm releasing, which is kind of just explaining my journey into becoming a Christian in the evangelical church, becoming a minister, and eventually making my exit and leaving the evangelical world uh, altogether. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about why I left the church. Um, This will probably be the longest one that I've released so far, and it's going to recount kind of how I joined the church, how I met my wife there, um, and began serving on staff and eventually had to, had to leave. So to begin this, this all goes back to a few years back to 2019, where I mentioned in the, uh, previous episodes that I'd served on staff at a hyper fundamentalist church in the Southern Baptist convention located in Belton, Texas, just a, just a few miles away from my school at the university of Mary Hardin Baylor. I served on staff at this church as the youth minister for just a few months when, the pastor and I began coming into major conflict over how best to minister to people and to students. Um, our conflict, and I'm not going to get into it a whole lot in this episode, but our co- conflict eventually blew up over a phone call when the pastor had called me and told me that a friend of mine and I were false prophets and that the minister was effectively going to take control over the youth ministry until I got more in line. And again, I mentioned previously that this this story it really demands an entire hour long episode and but it's not the focal point for today. Um, but that experience uh, wrecked me, and I resigned from that church basically overnight. And I left that church and set off on a journey really to find a new church community in which I could basically just take some time to lick my wounds and heal from the trauma that that church and that pastor had caused. And I wound up finding my way to a church in temple that was, it was a bit more contemporary. Um, and it had a really good college ministry that I began attending. And it was at this church, the very uh, first Sunday that I was there, actually, that I met my future wife, who I, who I would later marry um, at that very church. And I began attending all of the church's events, and I found a community of friends that I could hang out with. And I also, I began, after a couple months, I, be, I began dating my wife, and eventually got engaged to her and got married all while I was at this church. Now, remember, I was attending the University of Mary Hardin Baylor receiving my bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. And so at this point, I was up to my neck taking biblical studies classes in theology, philosophy, you know, uh, learning uh, how to translate Greek. And I was taking upper level new and Old Testament classes. And I loved it. And I still love the academic side to the Christian faith. Um, I love getting to learn about things in the Bible, like the documentary hypothesis of the Pentateuch or the synoptic problem in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or the uh, manuscript transmission of the New Testament and the evidence that we have for it. And I loved all of it. But during my time at UMHB, I seriously began wrestling with what all of these different scholarly ideas and theories had to do with my faith. You see, you're your typical evangelical church normally doesn't really want anything to do with biblical scholarship because if you accept any biblical scholarship at all as true, then your fi- your faith is likely going to change as a result. 
the reason for this being is that there is such a stark contrast between the beliefs that biblical scholars hold and the beliefs of lay people. And oftentimes, that's why, at least in my opinion, you have churches that will go and uh, condemn the idea of seminaries or tell people that the only thing that a minister really needs is their Bible because anything else is just a liberal agenda. You know, and this this is a real conversation that I've had with multiple different people who basically try to tear down the idea of any Christian higher education. And the problem with churches and pastors and congregation members pulling crap like this is that it, uh, whenever they look at biblical scholarship in this through that lens, it completely takes the. A component of reason and critical thinking out of your faith and it throws it on the ground and pisses on it. And so as I continued in my studies at UMHB, I began to learn all of these, you know, new ideas and new theories and different views on theology that I was never exposed to. I was never taught growing up in the evangelical church. And it didn't take very long for me to seriously begin to uh, ruminate about what I was learning. And slowly, over time, I began to listen to some of the new uh, theories and ideas. And I began to have ears that could hear and an open heart. And I began to see that critical, uh, academic, biblical scholarship, it's not something to you know, run away from, but rather to embrace. Uh, because kind of before that, I just thought that all of these professors with these liberal theologies, I thought that they were just morons. Um, that had conceded to the liberal agenda or whatever. Um, anyways, I began weighing the arguments and the evidence, and I subsequently uh, changed my theology and my worldview to fit these more un- academic understandings of the Bible and Christianity because uh, even though my old kind of evangelical faith, it so desperately wanted to fight against it, it wanted to fight against a change, I just couldn't ignore it whenever the facts were laid out right there in front of me. And one of the things that I still very much so appreciate about Mary Harden Baylor is that they weren't they weren't ramming evangelical doctrine and theology down their students' throats. You know, we didn't have to sign some statement of faith or anything like that. The students are free to critically think about issues surrounding their faith. And for me, that was liberating. It was like I could finally breathe some fresh air. And the professors, for the most part, they were not your typical hardcore Southern Baptist fundamentalists. They, uh, they seemed fairly progressive compared to at least what I had kind of experienced before in churches. Um, and it was during this time at UMHB, whenever I could finally think critically and somewhat objectively about my faith, that I really began my process of deconstruction. Now, deconstruction is a very loosely defined term used by ex-evangelicals or people who are maybe questioning aspects of their faith. And for the sake of brevity, I will define it as this in relation to the Deconstructed Burrito podcast. Um, deconstruction is, is the process through which one's religious worldview is taken apart piece by piece, bit by bit. So that way you can begin to look and see the individual components and the structures that composed your faith. Um, and then you can critically examine those individual components and you can decide for yourself 
what is true and what is not, um, what should be retained, what, what should be thrown out. You have so many evangelical leaders who condemn those who are going through deconstruction. And you have organizations like the Gospel Project uh, writing the most asinine articles, you know, effectively declaring that the process of deconstruction is a road that leads to hell and everybody who has gone through deconstruction uh, is really just an apostate. You know, and I used to be one of those who believed that too. But it was during my time at UMHB that my faith was ripped apart right in front of me. Um, it was like my faith, it was whipped and flayed alive right in front of my eyes with metaphorical chunks of flesh and critical organs getting ripped out with every crack of the whip. Um, you know, and something that's said often about seminaries is, and for seminarians who are attending them, um, I've always been told by people who have gone through seminary, got a master's of divinity that going through seminary is effectively kind of what I'm describing. Um, your faith is basically, uh, ripped apart and then it's rebuilt. Um, so that way, hopefully, you know, by the end of it, you will have some kind of correct doctrine, correct Christian worldview. Um, and so I, I think that actually a lot of ministers, um, at least ministers who have not gone into, uh, you know, the, uh, hardcore Southern Baptist fundamentalist colleges, uh, or seminaries, I, I think that a lot of people who, who've gone through seminary have had a similar experience. Um, certainly a lot of the ones that I've talked to have. And so, but for me, uh, and I think a lot of it had to do with the freedom of thought that was at UMHB. Um, but for me, it started in my first semester at UMHB. And now, you know, four years later, it still hasn't stopped. And so some of the, the core issues um, that kind of were ripped apart in front of me while I was at UMHB that I have since changed my mind about are things like how the Pentateuch was not written down by Moses during his lifetime, you know, if Moses existed at all, that is, but rather it was edited and added to and redacted by at least three, di three different authors who, you know, each of them had different purposes in writing their portion, editing it, and this happened over a time span of hundreds of years. Um, I learned that the Gospels were originally written anonymously and that they have many conflicting narratives and timelines and theological viewpoints. Um, and these different theological viewpoints, they suited the author's purposes in writing the Gospels. Um, they're not, as we would call it today in the 21st century, it's not an objective account. It's not like you're trying to read a, uh, you know, an essay published in some, uh, uh, you know, uh, research journal or, um, you know, it's not objective information that you would find in a science textbook. Um, I learned that both Matthew and Luke, the Gospels, they borrowed heavily from the Gospel of Mark. And not only did they borrow stories and details from Mark, but they also changed and modified aspects of the borrowed uh, Markan material substantially. Because of this, I, I had to change my view on the inerrancy of Scripture. And, you know, and I hold what many... Hardcore fundamentalists would say is a very low 
view of scripture, but it is a view that's informed by both critical reasoning and critical biblical scholarship, which I think, in my opinion, is the highest view you can have. I came to realize that the doctrine of hell as eternal conscious torment is egregious, and I now have a hope in universal salvation for all of humanity throughout all time. I learned that the doctrines of limited atonement and penal substitutionary uh, atonement, they were uh, bullshit doctrines devised well after the first several hundred years of Christianity to try to fit God into this neat little box that could be understood um, like a kind of formula. Um, I changed my mind about the numerous controversial issues that had plagued the evangelical church to the point that I knew that I didn't belong in the evangelical church anymore. Issues like LGBTQ plus inclusion in the church or the roles of women in the home as well as leadership positions in the church. Um, the white nationalism that's present in American churches, the violent portraits of God that we find in the Old Testament narratives. I changed my views on eschatology, inerrancy, evangelism, and that list, it goes on and on and on. And all that to say, like, yeah, my theology has changed a lot over the past few years. And it's still changing. Um, it's still being molded and pulled back apart. Uh, something that I say a lot of times is that um, in reference to my kind of theology and my doctrine uh, and how it changed at UMHB is that uh, Humpty fell off the wall and I still haven't been able to put him back together again. And so, but this, this all brings us back to my departure from the evangelical church and from my position as a youth minister. I began serving on staff at my last church, a church in Temple, Texas, that it had a, a few hundred members. Um, and I began serving there just before my senior year at UMHB. And I was exhilarated to finally be serving on staff at a church that I thought would be different from the negative church experiences that I previously had. I was wrong. I don't really know where to start with it. Um, but I think that the, the biggest thing, the number one thing, is that my changing theology made it to where I had to endure uh, cognitive dissonance every single day just to not get fired. What I mean by that is that because my theology had changed so much, especially over that year that I had served on staff at this church, I quickly found myself unable to agree with many of the basic Southern Baptist doctrines that effectively more or less govern the church and gave the church its purpose for existence. And I became really confused during that time. On the one hand, I was developing a new way of conceptualizing my faith and Jesus and the Bible. And I was beginning to see a bigger and more beautiful side of the gospel and a bigger, more beautiful side of the message of Jesus in the kingdom of God than I had ever possibly imagined before. But then every single week, I had to preach and teach to students within a system that I no longer agreed with. And I would spend so much time every week trying my best to craft a lesson that would fit the the best of both worlds. You know, one that wouldn't go against the grain of Southern Baptist theology, but also wouldn't compromise my own personal convictions. And it got hard. It got really hard. And I 
just started having so much anxiety every week about teaching the students. Um, and it probably showed just because I was trying to walk this impossibly fine line. Um, and I tried really hard to minister to the students and to share the gospel with them. But later on in the year that I served on staff, I began to not even be able to articulate a clear picture or idea of what the gospel is. Um, because I, it was changing for me. Um, what it meant that moment, I didn't really know. I didn't have a clear, perfect understanding of the gospel like I had always been taught to have as a child. Um, you know, and for most evangelicals, the cornerstone of their faith, it's not Jesus. Um, the cornerstone of their faith, the entire message of the evangelical gospel is the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement or the related you know, different theories of atonement. And whenever you remove the idea that God is a, you know, wrathful and hateful God that hated our sin so much that he had to torture and murder his own son just to get even, um, that whole system, it breaks apart. And so I, I just knew that I wanted to share Jesus with them, with my students, with my youth group. And I wanted to proclaim to these students, the actual good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God, not this evangelical crap that tells children that they will burn in hell forever just because they were born into a fallen and sinful world just so that way the church can have more baptisms. And if if the mental gymnastics that I had to go through during that ta- time, uh, if those mental gymnastics translated into physical gymnastics, then I would be able to get a fucking gold medal in the Olympics. And I began to recognize and hate this cognitive dissonance that I was going through where I believed one thing and the church had something completely different. And I began to loathe the system of the evangelical church. You know, and it used to be so simple, really, whenever I first became a Christian. Um, The purpose of my faith, the purpose of the church, it was an equation. It was a formula that said, you know, since God loved you so much, that he had to punish his one and only son to save all the world, you know, except for those who don't believe in God um, or Jesus. Um, because God did that, your primary purpose is in life is to now go out and tell others about Jesus dying on the cross so that they can be saved as well. Um, and the whole evangelical church and their whole worldview, it hinges upon this formula. And when I begin to reject that formulaic, you know, set in stone, concrete way of understanding the place of the Christian faith in the world. I couldn't perform my job you know, as a youth minister. Really, um, When I took up a gospel that proclaimed the, that truly proclaimed the inclusivity of Jesus and the real love that God has for the world and the hope that, you know, maybe God really isn't going to send billions of people to burn in the pit chambers of hell for eternity, I could no longer properly function within my church. I no longer had a place evangelical church. Um, I felt like uh, I was this heretical wrench that was thrown into the clockwork of the church. But yet I remained. Um, I stayed in my position as youth minister at this church and I privately shared the struggles in my faith with you know, those whom I could trust, other ministers, friends, um, who, and they all encouraged me and helped me out so much during that time. 
But my whole idea of what ministry and the Christian faith and youth ministry were, um, my whole idea about everything was just changed. Um, I didn't care for uh, public evangelism and knocking on doors to tell people that they wouldn't burn in hell. I didn't care anymore about creating pizza parties for high school students so that they could, you know, bring their friends to become acolytes and boost our number of baptisms. I didn't care about the church's multi-million dollar building projects to create bigger facilities. And I didn't give a shit about ramming doctrines down the throats of, you know, impressionable junior high and high school students. I hated walking through the doors every Sunday and looking out into a room full of hundreds of white people who didn't give a damn about the actual lost and hurting within the community. And yeah, I, I became a pretty poor youth minister uh, by evangelical standards and it showed. Oh, it showed. Um, I began to have you know conversations with these hyper-fundamentalist parents of the students in my youth group about why I didn't believe the Genesis account was a scientific account of creation or about why I thought that women ought to be ordained and serve as pastors as well. I had one particular couple involved in the youth ministry that would constantly, constantly complain to me about why their kids didn't give a shit about their whitewashed American Jesus who hates the gays, and they looked to me to blame. And I tried to teach, I tried my best to teach the kids in my youth group about the God and the Jesus from the Bible that I had come to know and love. I taught the students about why it's wrong to exclude others, about why and how we ought to love our neighbors as Jesus told us so. And I taught them about the kingdom of God and our place in it and what we were supposed to be doing about it as followers of Christ. I taught them about the Jesus of Nazareth who uh, loved the poor, the outsiders, the marginalized in society, and those who were looked down upon by you know, the hypocritical uh, religious leaders of his day. And I did my best to lead them to live their lives through the teachings of Christ. And the breaking point for me uh, throughout all of this, at which I first really realized that I had to get out, was when I got done teaching a lesson to my youth group on a Wednesday night. It was about Matthew 25 um, at the end of it in which Jesus states that, you know, what we do in this life to care for the least of these, you know, we did it to Jesus, that how we cared for the hungry and gave them food and how we gave drink to the thirsty, that um, how we welcomed the stranger in and gave clothing to the naked, um, you know, how we did all of those things, um, Jesus was there. Um, and we were doing that to him. And there, there's a whole lot deeper, I think, theological explanation that can be done there. Um, but basically, at the end of that, at the end of Matthew 25 in these verses, Jesus is saying that those who do not do these things, those who do not love the, the hungry, those who do not uh, care for those who are homeless, who are um, poor, whatever, um, those who do not love their neighbor, they will experience judgment. And, you know, I certainly, I don't give a damn for any kind of systematic, uh, you know, theology or sermons or 
mental gymnastics that pardons Christians from fulfilling those commandments. Um, so many, uh, pastors and preachers, like they have to come up with all of these ways to make it to where those verses don't apply to them, or they go and try to make it into some overly spiritualized, um, interpretation. And no, like Jesus is saying, is literally saying like, how is it that you are helping those around you? Um, anyways, after I got done with that message and all of the kids left, I found out that our senior pastor had gone and called the cops because a homeless man who had just gotten out of the hospital had set up a small tent on the edge of the church's property in a wooded area and the, and the pastor had the cops forcibly remove him. And this is the point which I just kind of snapped. Um, and I realized that the evangelical church just doesn't really give a shit about the least of these. The evangelical church is a facade that over the past, especially the hundred years, um, for, you know, from the t- early 20th century into 21st, it's developed into this shit show circus where ministers, um, get up in front of their congregations every Sunday and feed them crap, telling them that if they just believe hard enough, pray enough, develop a close enough relationship with God, that all of their problems will just magically go away when they're dead. You know, the evangelical church, it proclaims the goodness of God and how we're all going to go up to heaven one day and how Jesus will eventually return to set things right. Yet they won't lift a finger to help those suffering in their own backyard. and would rather call the police than open the church doors to help their neighbors in need. In a couple months after this happened, I started my first week at Truett Seminary in Waco. And I had really high hopes, um, despite my acknowledgement that the evangelical church was not what it claimed to be. Uh, Truett, Truett is a fantastic, um, I think, academic uh, institution. And I think that probably as far as evangelical seminaries go, um, that's probably one of the best. Um, but all this time I have been just wrestling with the problems of my faith and kind of my place in the Christian church. And I felt suffocated, uh, you know, like I couldn't think for myself. Um, like I wasn't free to think felt like my mouth was duct taped shut because I knew that if I spoke what was actually on my mind, I'd lose my job and ruin the career in ministry that I'd worked towards all that time and now have $65,000 in student loans because of. Um, and so I decided that it was best to leave my church and seminary since, you know, by leaving my church, I would lose the scholarship to go to Truett Seminary that it wasn't a full ride by any stretch of the imagination, but it shaved off. I think it was well more than half of the total cost to get my master's of divinity degree. Um, and serving on staff in my church that allowed me to get that scholarship from the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And I knew that by leaving uh, my church, I would lose that scholarship. And I'd also have to get a full-time job that was a lot less flexible than my job as a youth minister. And so I left. And here I am. A minister without a church who basically walked away from a lot of the things he once believed in. 
Um, it, and I picked up some new things along the way. And I don't know really where I'm going from here. Uh, I feel kind of aimless at this point, but um, I'm now working in a place where I actually get to serve people. And I love it. It's what I was craving all the time. Serving people and ministering to others in tangible, physical, meaningful ways is what I wanted all along. That's the heartbeat of Christ that I've been chasing after for years. This is the Deconstructed Burrito Podcast. Signing off.